Pippin for blessing us with that song. It's a good song for Wednesday because I want to ask, do you really, really have joy like a river? Sometimes on Wednesday we don't, we don't seem like it. Sometimes on Wednesday we're just kind of down from the long week we're going through. We need to be reminded that knowing Christ, is it means to, to know eternal joy. Eternal joy is not just being happy all the time. It's actually having the real source of joy, which is joy is like an anchor. It keeps our, it keeps our soul. It keeps us uh, in place so we don't get pulled and jerked around anywhere our circumstances might take us. No matter what happens to us, we know we are centered. We belong to God. He has a plan for us. He's protecting us for that plan. He'll Being confident of this very thing, this one thing, that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it, will finish it um, until the day of Jesus Christ. It's Philippians 1.6. I'm turning to it right now so I can read it for you. With my glasses on this time. And I am sure, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a powerful encouragement. The one who started the work in us. What is that work? That work of salvation, that work of giving us life, the work of being born again. The one who gave us life and started us um, on this life process. In other words, gave us the uh, willingness and ability to trust in Christ. He says, I'm going to finish that work. I will bring it to completion when at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, you are set and, 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 and you are sure until God sends his son Jesus to, to take you back home. I was telling my new membership class this, and I was saying um, one, of the, one of the pictures of our relationship with God is the church, the, the picture for the church. And there's two pictures for the church. The church is called the bride of Christ, and it's called the body of Christ. The body is that picture of a human body that works together. So as members, we, the church are, are, are those members in the body. Christ is the head, and he's the one that gives the command. How do you clap your hands? One hand can say, hey, I feel like clapping today. The other hand says, no, I don't feel like doing nothing. So you got nothing going on, right? The other hand says, okay, I'll join you. The right hand says, no, I'm tired. You wasn't there last time. And so now it's just the left hand clapping, and ain't no clapping going on, is it? And then they say, well, I'll, let's both clap together, but they're not coordinated. Let's do high five. No, let's do low act. So there's no clapping going on until both of them hear the direction from the head and say, let's meet at this place at this time in a resounding fashion, right? That's what it takes to clap. Body parts have to work together in perfect coordination. The picture there is Christ is the brain, is the head that's commanding the left hand and the right hand, the perfect movement at the perfect time with the perfect action, not, or not, it's how beautiful it sounds when they work together. That's one picture of the church. 
the relationship we have with God. The other picture is the bride of Christ. And I remember being, being a young boy, I didn't like that picture. Bride of Christ. I'm a Christian, but I ain't going to be no girl getting married. I didn't like that picture. I didn't understand that. I didn't want to be a girl. I was a boy. I was a male. And uh, how, how, why are we pictured that way? Well, it's pictured to show us the beauty of having a relationship and what God's going to do for us. It's not making boys, girls, or anything like that. It's showing us the beauty of that. What is the beauty of that? And that is this. Christ, we as believers are like a woman who's going to be married to Prince Charming. He has promised to marry her, but he hasn't married her yet. What did he give her? Say it. What kind of ring? An engagement ring. Guess what our engagement ring is as believers? Anybody know? Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. God says, I'm promising you I'm going to come back and get you. In the meantime, I'm going to give you a little piece of me to remember me by. And every time you look at and you interact with the Holy Spirit, he's going to be like me and he's going to make you long for me. Right? That's what an engagement ring does. The, 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 the woman who just got engaged says to all of her friends, look at my beautiful ring. How does he hold it out? Let me see. See? There it is. <laughs> I can't do that, but she can do it well. Look at my beautiful ring. This means Prince Charming has proposed to me, and he's promised that he is going to marry me. Now, what happens after that? The marriage is set at a time later, and he is true to her until that time, and then the marriage comes, and they get married, and they live happily ever after. Right? Jesus has promised to come and take us out of our land, bring us to his land to marry us. The marriage is going to take place in heaven. It hasn't taken place yet. We're engaged right now. We have the promise that he's coming because we have the Holy Spirit living in our heart. And he's going to come and take us back with him to his home. John 14 says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where I am, you may be also, right? He is preparing a mansion for us, a place for us. He's getting ready for the honeymoon after the wedding. And so God wants us to picture that in that way, that we are part of ones who are waiting for our king to come, take us out of the ghetto, take us into the palace, and then live happily ever after. The world is a ghetto. Well, that's the song sometimes. But that, that's true. The, the, world, the world is a ghetto. <laughs> no, that's a different song. <laughs> you mix in metaphors. <laughs> two different worlds, two different songs. But anyway, yes, this world that we live in is the old world, it's the ghetto. We're going to be with Christ to live in the palace, the beauty of it. And so. That, that's the picture. I said all that to say, Ethan, thank you for playing I Got Joy Like a River because 
That's where our joy comes from, knowing what we have in the future, knowing we're not happy all the time because we have things that happen to us that are difficult sometimes. But when we know what's going to, how things are going to end, we know we're going to live happily ever after. And that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. With that in mind, we pray. We hope and we trust in God. I was going to read Psalm 34, um, so I'm just going to read just a portion of that um, because I've taken up my time with that, that illustration, but that's okay. Psalm 34 says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Did the psalmist say this because he promised to be happy all the time? Or in other words, did he promise that his circumstances would be great so much that he could smile and be happy all the time? No. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. I mean, in other words, he said, I'm going to bless the Lord anyway. I am going to bless the Lord, not because I'm going to be fake and phony and just put a fake smile on my face. I have reason to bless the Lord. He goes through this psalm. He says, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He says, if you was me, you'd understand how good God is. There's difficulties in my life that I've gone through, and I've seen God bring me through that. He says in verse 15, excuse me, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. That's encouragement for us to pray today. God hears our aches and our pains and our cries out to him. He wants us to express them to him. Um, so no, we're not happy all the time. We have difficulties. He wants us to take those and pray to him and express that to him and trust him in it. He says in verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. We can be encouraged that God actually hears our cry. He I hear, not just that he can hear with a physical ear. It means he cares about what you're going through. He cares about whatever is upsetting you. He cares about um, the depression that they were going to be going through the book of Hebrews. And we know that there are three keys to this book. There are three ages. There was the age, church age, and there's the age to come when he returns. We know this book is about Jesus. That's the second key. That it tells us about him and who he is and what his ministry is. And then the third key about the book, and it's the most important, is that we ought to believe in him. And so with that in mind, let's look at chapter 12. Start at verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexual immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet 
and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape who they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The biggest key of that section is Let's do them in hierarchical order, okay? Because the ages will be the, the second one. Let's first just look at Jesus. What do you see in this passage about Jesus? What do we see? Let's talk about what Chantel's. What do we see about the three ages? How does it mention different ages? Is there anything that references the past? Is there anything that references the future? Where do you see that? Go ahead. Okay. okay. Think about Old Testament references. How many other ones? There's other ones in there. Okay, saints enrolled in heaven. Where is that? That's future, right? That's future. What other what other things do you see in there? other references to ages that are not ours. You got one? Did you have your hands raised, no, Naomi? Go ahead. Okay, the mediator of a new covenant. Okay, definitely, that is an Old Testament reference for sure. Let's talk about these references and what they mean, okay? First, he says there's a root of bitterness, and he describes that somebody like Esau person was Esau. And if you read the Bible just plainly, would you always assume that he was bad? What kind of person was Esau? Who was Esau's brother? Go ahead, Malachi. Jacob. And what was the relationship between Esau and Jacob that made him special? They weren't just brothers, they were Go ahead. They were twins. What was different? Were they the same? Were they identical twins? They were not identical twins. What was different about them? Esau was more hairy and red. And what about Jacob?
Okay, he was more house. He was more in the house, right? Um, let's talk about this. They also both had two names. We call Jacob, what other name? Well, that's what his name means. You're not wrong. Uh, but Israel, what is uh, Esau's other name? Edom. Edom, right? So these two men also had different names. Why would we think Esau is evil? What's Esau evil about? What's so evil about him? Okay, okay, you get somewhere. I, I, I didn't know where he was going with that at first. But yes, he did get mad at the promise of God. Go ahead, Bree. Okay. He betrayed the promise of God for something small. Okay, then he wanted to kill his brother. Now let's talk about that. Esau is a symbol of every unbeliever. Why? How is Esau a symbol of every unbeliever? Have you ever met somebody who knows the truth, but they don't want to give up something? So ultimately, they're like Esau. They gave up the promise of God for a bowl of soup. Now that bowl of soup may be alcohol. That bowl of soup might be relationships. That bowl of soup might be drugs, a job, prestige, what other people think about them. It could be something else. But in the end of the day, it's just bowl of soup. It's something that makes you happy that day, and then you forgot about it. And they call him a root of bitterness. Then there's another image he talks about, the blazing fire. What is that? You remember what happened when there was a blazing fire, and the fire fell on the mountain? What happened when God spoke? What did he say? It's something very important that he said. It's a certain number that goes along with it. Number 10. What happened up from the mountain? Ten Commandments. Okay, so God issued the Ten Commandments from that flaming fire on the mountain. And it said even Moses was afraid. And then we see Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Who was Abel? First person ever murdered. Why was Abel murdered? see all this. And then the author takes it another level. He says, all right, you know about this Old Testament stuff, right? We're like, yeah, yeah, we know about that. He says, okay, let's think about Jesus as being a step higher than that. Jesus is higher than this mountain. This mountain just shook the earth, but Jesus shakes the heavens. Abel's blood spoke to us. But Jesus' blood, blood speaks better. We used to have an old covenant through Moses, but Jesus offers a new covenant. What is he saying with these ages? We live in a better age. We live in a better age. Think of it. When Jesus walked around during his day, people were bound by demons, and what did they do? Well, it's, that's it for him. That's what people will say. He's done. But Jesus came and cast out demons. What age do we live in now? We live in an age, I could say this, we live in an age of deliverance. 
No matter what you face, God can deliver you from it. They did not have that back in the day. But we look forward to not just the age of deliverance, we look forward to an age of perfect victory where there's no need for deliverance. There's nothing to deliver from. There's no more enemy. No death, no sickness, no anything. Now these three ages, they look to something bigger. And what is the main point of all this? Look at the first few words at the very end of the chapter, verse 25. He says, see that you do not refuse him. Don't refuse him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. The whole point of this is to say, hey, I got three ages. Sure, you understand that? Jesus has hired that. Sure, you understand that? Listen to him. If they were so afraid of God setting the mountain ablaze, you need to understand that Jesus sets, sets the whole heavens ablaze. You better listen to him. Don't play with him. Right? Jesus is saying in his passage, don't play with him. He's going to shake everything. But he's going to replace with something better. So what should we be meditating on in this passage? I think one thing you can meditate on in this is minor is when you read through the Old Testament, it really does help you. This is just minor, but it is, it's just true, right? You might read through the Leviticus. You're like, why am I reading through Leviticus? Trust me, it's going to benefit you, okay? Here's another thing to meditate on is this. Notice, try to look in between the lines and see what the Bible is actually saying. When you notice that Jesus is casting out all these demons and nobody else can, what does that tell you? Nobody can deliver from demons except for Jesus, which is telling you people had no hope. So when Jesus said he saw the people and they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd, what was he saying? He wasn't just talking about the Pharisees who was bad leaders, even though he was implying that. He was saying these demons is killing these people. And they have no chance against them. Now, sadly, when I look out on the streets of Milwaukee, I see a similar thing. Every time I go on witness, I see people who are straight up out of their minds. And I have to wonder, and I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you might be wiser than me, but I don't know how much of that is because they have drugged themselves so badly and how much of that is demonic. I can't always know. I just don't know. But I know this. If they would trust in the Lord, they can have victory over it. But many people, like Esau, they want their bowl of soup. Meditate on those things, amen. Good evening, everyone. Before we break into our groups for prayer time, do you have any special requests you want to bring before the church so we can lift it up in prayer tonight? Brother Jeremy. Been a while. Been a while. Carmel? One is going to be starting kindergarten in a couple weeks. 
He gets uh, he had a little taste this week. They have a camp at my in-laws' church. They go for nine till two o'clock. So he's got a little taste of it. Scared the first day, but he's adapted to it and looking forward to school. So pray for him and for our family at Justin. Another one out of the nest. Patty's looking at some more free time, but she's living with her helpers, so it's gonna be a handful. Two little toddlers at home. Oops, and we'll close the word of prayer.